Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm joined today by a new friend who lives actually in New York, uh, Kevway Moern, who's the founder of Covium and works at Etsy, actually, in the Strategic Finance Department. It's exciting, though, because Kevway is actually undergoing her seed round for uh, her venture, Covium. Um, and I'm particularly excited to talk to, to Kevway, actually, because, and this is what we were talking before the podcast, because if you look at her profile, it's kind of going from the transition between you know investment banking, the strategic finance side, to really venturing in entrepreneurship, starting her own venture, but also kind of her passion with fashion that kind of rhymes. Um, so very excited to talk to her about that and and try to see you know what her experience was like, challenges along the way, lessons learned, etc. Thanks a lot for doing this, Kevway. I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. So tell me this. Um, you know, I kind of did some research on you and. Um, I think what's what's interesting again is you know you started your career in uh, working with Credit Suisse, right in New York. Um, right. So tell me about falling into iBanking. You know, kind of how you went from you know university to iBanking. Was that always something you wanted to do? And if so, you know what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I like the way you put it, falling into banking, because that's definitely how it happened. <laughs> I um, was at the University of Texas studying. I was actually an accounting major at first and really wanted something with a little bit more freedom instead of traditional accounting. I switched my major to finance, but didn't really know what opportunities were out there. So I started seeking some advice from upperclassmen and everybody kept talking about investment banking, investment banking. I didn't even really know what it was, but I was a sophomore and I decided, you know, now is the best time ever to really explore this option and see if it's for me. So I just um, went up to one of the managing directors when they came for an on-campus visit and I told him, hey, like, I know this program is generally for juniors, but I'm a sophomore and I think I could really impact. I think I'm prepared. And a few months later, I got my acceptance letter that I was um, accepted into the internship program. And from then on, I interned at Credit Suisse, eventually went there full time in the tech media and telecom group. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I mean, TMT is actually because um, I think what, what's cool about TMT is, is obviously like if you want to venture in the tech space, I know you have with Covium, it's sort of on the e-commerce side, but uh, at least on the research end, um, you know, you really get to learn a lot about the space. You know, you're always on top of what's going on in, in the market, you know, keeping up with trends, et cetera. What did you enjoy most about it? We'll talk about the challenges and stuff, but uh, during your tenure in, in iBanking, and I think overall, so you did six months of in, of being, I guess, an analyst, three months, three months, and then you did a year, almost a year and a half uh, full-time as an IB analyst. So kind of just wondering, like, what, what was your biggest takeaway that you're actually using now, maybe in the stuff that you're doing, that you kind of took away from IB? 
Yeah, so one of the best things about IB is as an analyst, you really challenge beyond what you're actually prepared to do. So there's very minimal training um, in the summer. And when you get there full time, you just hit the desk running. And you also get a lot of access to senior management. So I took advantage of that a lot, just trying to learn as much as I possibly could about the clients, what made those companies successful, what made them unsuccessful, knowing that down the line, I'd want to apply this in my own career. Mm, I see. I see. Yeah, I mean, even when you were saying like you kind of fall into IB, I think for a lot of people, like I study finance too. And even you know, when I was in university, I think the, the premise was always like, okay, when you graduate, the allure of iBanking or consulting or the, you know, the big accounting firms, whatever it is, it, it always had like a, a status up above, you know, other, other things that you maybe want to, con- to consider, especially if it was entrepreneurship. I mean, you, you know, now it's kind of more, uh, I guess, glamorized, if you'd like, or romanticized. Uh, but when in university, everybody wants to to be in IB, you know, people are like, okay, well, that's where the money is. That's where the status is, et cetera. Did you have that kind of pressure? Oh yeah, definitely. And also being a first generation immigrant, you want something with um, financial security because, you know, that's something that we just value traditionally. Like my parents came here, we came here to find a better life. You don't want to take your chances with entrepreneurship. So banking Uh just seems like the best route. Yeah, that's very true. And so, so where are you originally from? Nigeria. Nigeria. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I can resonate with that too. Like I'm, you know, born in Lebanon, lived in the Middle East half my life, but it's true. I actually never thought of it the way you were, you know, you kind of constructed that sentence, but um, it's very true. It's almost like, you know, what's funny though, is we have a big appetite for risk, but it's like when you risk everything that you had where you're from to come to maybe, you know, a country like the US or Canada or whatever it is, you almost want to, you want something maybe not as as risky just so that you can you know you can stay afloat and make sure that you can uh you know you can sort of tie up the loose ends yeah yeah definitely that's very cool so you did credit suisse i mean with you know with that kind of put it two years um in credit suisse when when did you know and and i really want to you know get get to the sort of micro because i feel like a lot of people listening and this is where it's going to be important i feel like they're probably in the same mix right some people are maybe truly convinced and that's great for them as a career. But I think for a lot of people, what we just talked about is the pressure. For you, when you felt that pressure, like, was it in the beginning? Or was it sort of towards the tail end of it? And then you're like, you know what, this is not for me, I got to make a transition in my career. So when was that for you? Yeah, so for me, it was less about banking not being for me, and more about the impact and the creative freedom that I could have by starting my own venture. Because honestly speaking, like I really did enjoy the work that I was doing in banking and I had never really felt a pressure to get out other than maybe the hours. <laughs> but it was the calling of like this vision that I had. You know, this is something that other people aren't doing. It's a problem that I talk to my female coworkers about all the time. And I just really, really liked the fact that I could have more control over something. And honestly, I couldn't handle the crazy hours of banking and starting this new venture. And that's when I decided to look for um, other opportunities. Yeah, the hours are something that um, I think often are either underlooked or um, sort of underrated going in. But it's also a question a lot of people have. Like that's something I think a lot of people ask me in the beginning is like, okay, well, how many hours are you working? Like, and, and although I was on the cl- client facing side, so it was a little different for me, I wasn't on the execution side of M&A, but 
um, I think that's always something that's looming, right? Like, oh my God, the 100 <laughs> hours or the 80 hours. And what am I supposed to do with my life? I can't even go to the gym. I can't do this. So two questions for you. And I, I'm kind of excited to ask you this because I feel like maybe a lot of students are wondering this too, is one, what was a day in life for you? Even though I know it's different, it's going to be variable. Give us kind of maybe a snapshot. And number two, knowing that the hours are crazy and maybe tell us like a, what the average was for you during a week. Um, how did you balance stuff on the side? Whatever it was for you, whether it was growing Covium or, or doing stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, as you alluded to, every day was so, so different. But typically, um, we'd get in like maybe nine or 10 and you just kind of hit the desk running. You're looking at what happened with the different clients that you manage. So each analyst would have maybe like 10 to 15 clients that you're constantly working on. And at any given time, let's say five of those clients are going through some kind of transaction, whether it's an M&A deal or a debt offering or an IPO. So you're either working on those decks or fielding diligence calls. Um, I was fortunate enough to travel quite a bit while I was in banking as well. So you're racing to get this all done so that you can get on the next flight to Nevada is where I had to go quite a bit. So it's just I would say like a day in the life is just a constant juggling exercise. You're working on very, very different deals with very different clients and making sure that the work that you're putting in is top notch because it actually matters. This is all client facing um, material. And what was your second question? So the second question was like on the side, I mean, how did you sort of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, Balance is very, very important to me, and I think it's a very important concept. But when I decided to do banking full time, I kind of stopped putting pressure on myself to have balance all the time. So some weeks, you know, I would work those 80 to 100 hours a week and I would not see my family or anything. Then sometimes when the deals were a bit quieter, I would take that time to, you know, reconnect with friends, have brunch, and do all that. But then when I got the idea for Cobium, things really went haywire because I would work, 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 maybe until like midnight, one o'clock, and then start working on Cobium stuff late into the night. And it was just important to me to recognize that, okay, right now my life is very out of balance and I'm not going to guilt myself about it, but I'm doing this in the hope that later on down the line, I will be able to achieve that balance. Mm. That's a very good way to put it. You're not, not putting that pressure on you and, and in, I guess also it's almost like there's balance in the balance. It's like, okay, well, one week it might be out of balance. Next week I'm going to rejig this, right? I'll see what I didn't do last week. Like if I didn't spend enough time with my family and the deal side is a little quieter, I might take that Friday and, you know, instead of leaving at 10, I'll leave at six and go do a dinner with, with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely never like a, like steady state equilibrium. It's like one week extreme work, one week extreme rest. Right, <laughs> kind of right. swinging between the two of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. And, and that, that's a very, it, it's actually, I, I think it's a better way uh, to develop that kind of mindset versus saying, you know what, every week has to be extremely, you know, similar. Like I have to get one hour here, two hours here. I have to do this, this, because every week is very different, especially early in your career when you're trying obviously to build that cred, you know, especially in IB where this is part of the culture. You know, that's why it's right. a lot of people like if you don't like it, I mean, this is no one's forcing you, uh, forcing you to go to, uh, you know, to this kind of space or consulting. If this is not your lifestyle, recognize that early, maybe go into something that is, you know, there's no, uh, uh, I mean, other than maybe societal pressure, but there's no pressure on you to, to really go to that route if this is not what you want. And that's why also, you know, salaries are much higher, right? I mean, uh, yeah. just, just the work involved. 
Yeah, and I also think like going into these careers, you have to think long term, like what exactly is it that I want to get out of this experience? And is this the best place for me to get it? So for me, I knew that in there are very few other fields where I could get access to management and work as closely to um, these like transformational deals as I could in investment banking. So going into that, I always kept that in my mind, like, hey, this is my goal to learn as much as possible in the shortest amount of time. And if that means like crazy work hours, so be it. If it puts me a little bit ahead of the learning curve. Yeah, that's true too. It's almost like like to reiterate that is it's kind of the why, you know, just to keep yourself motivated. Like you have to keep that in mind constantly. Because also you're gonna go through times where you're like, What the hell am I doing? Like (laughs) you know, but I think for a lot of people like and and you'll attest to this as we move to Covium and we talk about that next, but it's kind of like you know, people don't understand that there's always this valley of the shadow, like Reed Hoffman says. You know, and it exists in everything, not just in IB, but like if people think, you know, entrepreneurship is, is glorious, um, it, you're going to have great days. But also in the beginning, you know, to your point, you're going to have to do just those hours, but also do a shit ton of stuff that you might not want to do, you know, right. because you're doing everything. You're, you're the accountant, you're the you know recruiter, you're the person who's marketing for your for your seed round, you're the e-commerce, but like you have to do everything and wear all those hats early on and you're bearing all that accountability. Right, Definitely. So what made you want to start Cove? Like, is this, first of all, I think you have a knack for, for fashion. I think that's where it probably started. But tell me about uh, the whole kind of backdrop. Why Covium? Why men's, uh, sorry, uh, women's kind of fashion line with suits? Yeah, so I think what the catalyst for it was, you know, being in making and trying to find a suit was so, so difficult for me. I'm really tall and super lanky and nothing ever bit right. And I felt in every meeting that I was super self-conscious, like always readjusting, like trying to make myself feel comfortable in something that just was not made for me. And, um, you know, like IB is predominantly male. And I would talk to my coworkers like, oh, like, yeah, like my jacket sleeves are short, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, oh, well, like I go to or here or there and I can easily get this custom. And it just always bothered me how easy it was for them. And that was just one hurdle that they didn't have to um, jump over. Yeah. So I decided, okay, like, let me, you know, invest some more time into this, see like what the opportunity is. I uh, looked all over New York trying to find um, custom suiting for women. I couldn't find it. And I was talking to my friend about it. And he's like, hey, you know, like Hong Kong and Bangkok are the suiting capitals of the world. Like, have you ever tried there? I was like, oh, like, no, I haven't. That's so far away. But we got um, a week off from a week off of vacation in banking. And I decided to, you know, just fly to Bangkok and just start talking to tailors. And I saw the problem over there as well. Like a lot of the tailors did men's suits and they said they could do women's, but weren't really specialized in it. Didn't really know the right questions to ask to understand the issues that women face. And so I finally found one, Sammy, who's um, the head tailor right now with Podium. And I realized, okay, like I'm having this issue there has to be other people and I started asking my coworkers. and when I realized that this was a really prevalent issue I thought I have a unique opportunity here to really um, capitalize on this pain point and develop a solution that will help women everywhere 
Yeah, that's very true. It's almost like you validated the model first within yourself. So it's kind of like the pain point existed there. You then went to the market. You're like, all right, this thing actually exists, not just within myself. Um, but I find like, especially with clothes, that, that what you were highlighting next is basically what's the, the biggest challenge. It's always finding someone who's obviously can manufacture the uh, or, or tailor the, the the materials for you. Um, how do you like? Because I feel like this is probably a question a lot of people are asking: is how do you how do you build that trust with someone who is overseas, especially when this is the first time you're doing it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one thing that I've had to do throughout this um, entire journey with Kogam is invest my capital and just test things. So when I found Sammy, realized that he was really experienced in this, I just got a bunch of suits made by him and just inspected everything from the stitching, the thread that he used, the quality of the fabric, the quality of the lining, all of that. So it was less about trust than more about like, let's let me put my money where my mouth is. If I think I'm actually going to sell this, I need to actually invest my own capital and test it and make sure that this is something that I'd be proud to offer to clients and that actually is a solution to their needs. And, and did you start selling online immediately or was it like, you know, let's, you know, let me order 10 suits, sell them first by hand. And then, you know, if I build some kind of traction, I'll, I'll build a website and start going fully online. How was that process for you? Yeah, so I when I first got the suits made, I really wasn't that invested in selling them online. So what I did was I got a bunch of made all of my size and just started wearing them around the office and started getting like comments from my friends and my coworkers like, oh my gosh, like I love your suit, mostly because of the color or the fit, all the stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, like it was custom and just like gauging their reaction, like, oh, okay, like are, is this something that they'd be excited about? And um, when I just started getting more and more confirmation about it, I thought, let me just like put this online. Like there's not that much um, upfront capital for custom suiting because everything is made after the client purchases. So I put it online and just decided to, you know, like see what happens. <laughs> Too much in marketing uh, for an idea that is not yet founded. So I didn't put any money into marketing and just put it online and thought like, okay, Let's see if anyone even, like, if they stumble upon this, are they going to be excited about it? And then I'll invest more in, like, putting the name brand out there. Mm. So it's pretty much, like, got the samples for the suits and then went online. Got you. I think that makes more sense, too, especially because you are in an environment where you can, uh, you know, you can display them more, uh, especially in an environment also that favors them more, you know. And it, and yeah. even though, like, uh, to your point, like you were saying, um, you know, you're – it might be more predominantly men in, in, in kind of your vicinity. Uh, at the same time, I mean, you'd be like, oh, you know what? My, my wife would, would like, would love something like this or my partner or my, you know, my sister or my friend. Like, so word of mouth starts, starts building up more and then you kind of create a more engagement through just a, a natural funnel, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even to this day, that's the strategy. Like I still haven't invested any money in paid marketing because I feel like for something like a suit, it's a very emotional process. It's a very involved process. Like you're taking your measurements, you're really invested in this entire thing. And that's best communicated by like hearing it from somebody else or like long form articles like Team Vogue and the CNBC articles that are out there. Those are and it's really the best avenues to communicate this value to clients and has been pretty successful so far. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, like, it's almost doing marketing by doing no marketing, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes there is actually a lure to that, especially with suits, you know, because if, if you're targeting the more, 
I guess upper, not super upper class, but I'm like, obviously they're they're more tailored. Um, they're not kind of off the rack, so I would say they're on the higher end. Um, but what's nice is that it kind of gives it a bit of a you know a, a status to it. Like the process of buying it isn't something you could just get anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And so, like, what what do you what do you want to do next with COVID? I know we talked about quickly about the the seed round. So you haven't raised any money for it yet. This has all been self funded. Um, yeah. The seed round is kind of like the first first round of financing. So now you're looking to raise. How much are you looking to raise? And what do you really want to do with that money? So right now we're looking to raise, uh, raise about two million dollars. And the biggest um, use of that capital is one building out the team. So. Currently, it's just me and the tailor, and it's very, very difficult, like, um, managing all of this. And obviously, at some point, you know, you have to expand and, like, get people to specialize in tech and marketing, that stuff. But also having some physical showrooms as well. Um, you know, the typical Clothium clientele, they're very, very busy. So a lot of them really do appreciate the online process. So they can go online after they get off of a, like, long day at work instead of having to you know like go during their lunch break to get quickly measured they can invest whatever time they want but there is a subset of podium clients that are not the traditional bankers and lawyers who actually do have a lot of free time so um we have a lot of clients that are like influencers that really want the full service experience so part of that money is going to be building out showrooms in um, the key market. So you can come in, you know, actually talk to the tailor. If you have some questions, um, feel the fabrics, maybe look at the styles in person or just get some reassurance on some of the measurements that we all require. And I think that's also very important because another huge gap in this market is education. When um, I was doing some of the little focus groups, the there's very little education of like custom attire or like tailoring for women. When you search online, it's very difficult to find articles geared towards women that talk about what to ask your tailor or what to look for in a well-made suit or a well-made shirt. And in these showrooms and online as well, we can offer that. So the big raise is really for just expanding the platform and of course, like also moving into other areas outside of just suiting. Got you, got you. For a lot of people listening, like this is obviously a side hustle that I'm assuming you want to pursue full time when you know the the more um, it starts progressing. How do you, how have you sort of managed to build a side hustle? You know, you're obviously working uh, at Etsy on the strategic finance side, which, by the way, I think is really smart too, because obviously you're in a, um, you know, you're, you're you're aligned with a company that aligns with your values, but also validated a model quite similar on the e-commerce side, different kind of context, but. Um, so maybe the advice is like, when you made that pivot, were you also cognizant that I want to be somewhere that has already kind of built it and I can learn from it and then pursue this full time? Is that kind of the thinking? Yeah. So I am extremely intentional now after falling into <laughs> banking about each of my subsequent, um, positions. So actually between banking and Etsy, I was at a, um, startup called 11 James. It was a subscription watch company, um, mostly for men, but there were some female clients there as well. And um, it ended up winding down seven months after I started. But those seven months were probably the greatest learning experiences for me. I really wanted to join a company that had a little bit 
of traction, but also, you know, would have those growing pains where I actually had like some skin in the game and could have like an impactful effort or right. impactful effect. And also one that was going through a um, fundraising round. So I joined um, a few months before the Series B. Um, that was an amazing learning experience, just getting the operational side of things. I had the financial side for making, now I had the operational side. And after that, I was looking for a way to put those two together. And Etsy was an amazing opportunity for that because it's a, an older company, like it's a public company, but it's also, um, you know, still has a lot of room for growth, still has a lot of opportunities. And I can see Covian being in this kind of, you know, like teenage stage um, down the line. And I really wanted to get the experience of working in a company like that. So I made sure that like each of the positions that I take afterwards, um, you know, really drive me towards my end goal. Gotcha. Gotcha. What advice would you give either, you know, women who are looking to get into iBanking and I'm focusing here and I think we both know why. And I, I think it's important to also, you know, since I have more of a specific context I can ask for, I really want to highlight that. And on the second front for, um, you know, female entrepreneurs who are looking to start their own venture, what sort of things, and I know that you obviously you're still progressing, but, but from the learnings that, that you've kind of gathered so far, what would that be? Yeah. So biggest advice for anyone trying to get into investment banking is to network like it's your job. Honestly speaking, I think the people that I met in investment banking, both at my bank, at other banks, have played such an impactful and influential part of my career that I can't even express it in words. And I feel like a lot of times when um, you're an analyst, it's really hard, to, it's really easy to get caught up in the day to day. You know, you're working these crazy hours and you don't really think about like making connections with the other people on your team or like making um, more of a personal connection with MD or other MDs in the bank. And I think. Um, just taking the time out to, you know, meet other people and develop those relationships helped me more than anything else. And whenever I um, have like mentees or I'm talking to other people, that's one thing that I always try to stress because you never know when down the line you'll need something from that person or you'll like want to bounce something off of them, like an idea. And if you have that relationship, it's a much easier conversation. Right. And then the second part of your question, women, entrepreneurs, my biggest thing is just go for it and go for it with conviction. And this is something that I struggled with. And one of the reasons why I almost feel like Covium almost got away from me is a lot of times when um, women are starting businesses, you know, we always like start it small and like, oh, okay, like we'll grow, we'll grow, we'll grow, we'll grow from here. And that's fine. That's one way to do it. But I feel like you could have so much more of an impact if you just like put it out there, like 100% conviction, say like, okay, this is my idea. Like, let me just go for it. Let me see what happens. And honestly, constantly thinking of, what's the worst that could happen? I remember when I like went live with Covium and just put everything online, I thought, okay, like, you know, no one could buy this. This could be like the worst thing ever. This could be super embarrassing because my coworkers in banking know that I'm doing this and they all think it's a stupid idea, like all that kind of stuff. And at some point I was just like, you know what? 
the worst that can happen is that, you know, they laugh at me or something else, but like, I still have that resolution and that like, I don't know, that piece that I actually tried it. So that's my biggest advice is just go for it. Like who cares? You know, if you fail, you fail, you just get back up and try again. I love that. That's really, really great advice. Uh, I really appreciate you know your time and kind of all these gems that, that you shared. And I, I know that a lot of people are probably going to follow up and connect with you. So I just want to make sure, where are you most active? I know you're on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I just added you on IG, by the way. Um, so where can people kind of connect with you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as Kewa Mawarin. So K-E-V-M-O-W-A-R-I-N. And also on LinkedIn as well. And if you message me, I'm definitely trying to get through those and respond as soon as I can. Amazing, amazing. Thanks so much, Gabway. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully the next time I'm in town or you're in Toronto, we'll do drinks or lunch. Yeah, definitely. It's so great speaking with you.